Section 31 of The Wit and Humor of America, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Couch. Aunt Dinah's Kitchen by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Like a certain class of modern philosophers, Dinah perfectly scorned logic and reason in every shape and always took refuge in intuitive certainty. And here she was perfectly impregnable. No possible amount of talent or authority or explanation could ever make her believe that any other way was better than her own, or that the course she had pursued in the smallest matter could be in the least modified. This had been a conceited point with her old mistress, Marie's mother, and Miss Marie, as Dinah had always called her young mistress even after her marriage, found it easier to submit than contend. And so Dinah had ruled supreme. This was the easier in that she was perfect mistress of that diplomatic art which unites the utmost subservience of manner with the utmost inflexibility as to measure. Dinah was the mistress of the whole art and mystery of excuse-making in all of its branches. Indeed, it was an axiom with her that the cook can do no wrong. And a cook in a southern kitchen finds abundance of head and shoulders on which to lay off every sin and frailty, so as to maintain her own immaculateness entire. If any part of the dinner was a failure, there were fifty indisputably good reasons for it, and it was the fault, undeniably, of fifty other people whom Dinah berated with unsparing zeal. But it was very seldom that there was any failure in Dinah's last results, though her mode of doing everything was peculiarly meandering and circuitous, and without any sort of calculation as to time and place, though her kitchen generally looked as if it had been arranged by a hurricane blowing through it, and she had about as many places for each cooking utensil as there were days in the year, Yet, if one could have patience to wait her own good time, up would come her dinner in perfect order, and in a style of preparation which an epicure could find no fault. It was now the season of incipient preparation for dinner. Dinah, who required large intervals of reflection and repose, and was studious of ease in all of her arrangements, was seated on the kitchen floor, smoking a short, stumpy pipe, to which she was much addicted, and which she always kindled up a sort of censer whenever she felt the need of an inspiration in her arrangements. It was Dinah's mode of invoking the domestic muses. Seated around her were various members of that rising race with which a southern household abounds, engaged in shelling peas, peeling potatoes, picking pin feathers out of fowls, and other preparatory arrangements. Dinah every once in a while interrupting her meditations to give a poke or a rap on the head to some of the young operators with the pudding stick that lay by her side. In fact, Dinah ruled over the woolly heads of the younger members with a rod of iron and seemed to consider them born for no earthly purpose but to save her steps, as she phrased it. It was the spirit of the system under which she had grown up, and she carried it out to its full extent. Miss Ophelia, 
after passing on her reformatory tour through all the other parts of the establishment, now entered the kitchen. Dinah had heard from various sources what was going on, and resolved to stand on defensive and conservative ground, mentally determined to oppose and ignore every new measure without any actual and observable contest. The kitchen was a large brick-floored apartment with a great old-fashioned fireplace stretching along one side of it, an arrangement which St. Clair had vainly tried to persuade Dinah to exchange for the convenience of a modern cook-stove. Not she! No pussy-eider conservative of any school was ever more inflexibly attached to time-honored inconveniences than Dinah. When St. Clair had first returned from the north, impressed with the system and order of his uncle's kitchen arrangements, he had largely provided his own with an array of cupboards, drawers, and various apparatus to induce systematic regulation under the sanguine illusion that it would be of any possible assistance to Dinah in her arrangements. He might as well have provided them for a squirrel or a magpie. The more drawers and closets there were, the more hiding holes could Dinah make for the accommodation of old rags, hair combs, old shoes, ribbons, cast-off artificial flowers, and other articles of vertu, wherein her soul delighted. When Miss Ophelia entered the kitchen, Dinah did not rise, but smoked on in sublime tranquillity, regarding her movements obliquely out of the corner of her eye, but apparently intent only on the operations around her. Miss Ophelia commenced opening a set of drawers. "'What is this drawer for, Dinah?' she said. "'It's handy for most anything, missus,' said Dinah. So it appeared to be. From the variety it contained, Miss Ophelia pulled out first a fine damask tablecloth, stained with blood, having evidently been used to envelop some raw meat. "'What's this, Dinah? You don't wrap up meat in your mistress's best tablecloth.' "'Oh, Lord, missus, no. The towels was all missing, so I just did it. I laid it out to wash that there. That's why I put it there. Shirtless, said Miss Ophelia to herself, proceeding to tumble over the drawer, where she found a nutmeg grater and two or three nutmegs, a Methodist hymn book, a couple of soiled Madras handkerchiefs, some yarn and knitting work, a paper of tobacco and a pipe, a few crackers, one or two gilded china saucers with some pomade in them, one or two thin old shoes, a piece of flannel, carefully pinned up, enclosing some small white onions, several damask table napkins, some coarse crash towels, some twine and darning needles, and several broken papers from which sun-dry sweet herbs were sifting into the drawer. "'Where do you keep your nutmeg, Dinah?' said Miss Ophelia, with the air of one who prayed for patience. "'Most anywhere, missus. There's some in that cracked teacup up there.' and there's some over there in that are cupboard. Here are some in the grater, said Miss Ophelia, holding them up. Law, yes, I put them there this morning. I likes to keep my things handy, said Dinah. You, Jake, what are you stopping for? You'll catch it. Be still there, she added with a dive of her stick at the criminal. What's this, said Miss Ophelia, holding up the saucer of pomade. Laws, it's my hair grease. 
I put it thar to have it handy. Do you use your mistress's best saucers for that? No, it was because I was driv and in such a hurry. I's gwine change it this very day. Here are two damask table napkins. Them table napkins I put thar to get em washed out some day. Don't you have some places here on purpose for things to be washed? Well, Master St. Clair got dat her chest, he said, for dat. But I likes to mix up biscuit and have my things on it some days. And then it ain't handy a lifting up the lid. Why don't you mix your biscuits on the pastry table there? Law, missus, get salt so full of dishes and one thing and another, there ain't no room, no ways. But you should wash your dishes and clear them away. Wash my dishes, said Dinah in a high key, as her wrath began to rise over her habitual respect of manner. What does ladies know about work, I want to know? When did Master ever get his dinner if I was to spend all my time washing and putting up dishes? Miss Marie never told me so, no how. Well, here are these onions. No, yes, said Dinah. That's where I put em now. I couldn't remember. Them's particular onions I was savin' for this here very stew. I forgot they was in that old flannel. Miss Ophelia lifted out the sifting papers of the sweet herbs. I wish Mrs. Wouldn't touch dem are. I likes to keep my things where I knows where to get em, said Dinah rather decidedly. But you don't want these holes in the papers. Then's handy for sifting on out, said Dinah. But you see, it spills all over the drawer. Laws, yes, if Mrs. will go a-tumbling things all up so, it will. Mrs. has spilled lots out her way, said Dinah, coming uneasily to the drawers. If Mrs. will only go upstairs till my clearing up time comes, I'll have everything put to right. But I can't do nothing when ladies is round a hindrin. You, Sam, don't you give dat baby dat dear sugar bowl. I'll crack it over if you don't mind. I am going through the kitchen and going to put everything in order once, Dinah. And then I'll expect you to keep it so. Lower now, Miss Ophelia. That ain't no way for ladies to do. I never did see ladies doing no such. My old missus, nor Miss Marie, never did, and I don't see no kind of need on it. And Dinah stalked indignantly about, while Miss Ophelia piled in sordid dishes, emptied dozens of scattering bowls of sugar into one receptacle, sorted napkins, tablecloths, and towels for washing, washing, wiping, and arranging with her own hands, and with a speed and alacrity which perfectly amazed Dinah. Lord, now! If dat are de way dem northern ladies do, they ain't ladies no how, she said to some of her satellites, when at a safe hearing distance. I has things as straight as anybody, when my clearing up time comes, and I don't want ladies round a hindrin' and gettin' my things all where I can't find em. To do Gina justice, she had, at irregular periods, paroxysms of reformation and arrangement, which she called clearing up times, when she would begin with great seal and turn every drawer and closet round side outward onto the floors or tables, 
and make the ordinary confusion sevenfold more confounded. Then she would light her pipe and leisurely go over her arrangements, looking things over and discoursing upon them, making all the young fry scour most vigorously on the ten things, and keeping up for several hours a most energetic state of confusion, which she would explain to the satisfaction of all inquirers by the remark that she was a clearing up. She couldn't have things a-goin' as they had been, and she's goin' to make these ere young ones keep better order. For Dinah herself, somehow, indulged the illusion that she herself was the soul of order, and it was only the young uns and everybody else in the house that were the cause of anything that fell short of perfection in this respect. When all the tins were scoured, and the table scrubbed snowy white, and everything that could offend tucked out of sight in holes and corners, Dinah would dress herself up in a smart dress, clean apron, and a high brilliant madras turban, and tell all marauding young uns to keep out of the kitchen, for she was going to have things kept nice. Indeed, these periodic seasons were often an inconvenience to the whole household, for Dinah would contract such an immoderate attachment to her scoured tin as to insist upon it that it shouldn't be used again for any possible purpose, at least until the ardor of the clearing up period abated. End of Aunt Dinah's Kitchen